<clears throat> Let's pray once before we get started. <clears throat> Lord God, we seek only you this day. So let these words that will come from me actually be words from you. Let them guide and instruct. Well, my, uh, I thought it might be a good idea to at least address the situation before we get into this. Obviously, I've been having some struggles speaking um, over the last couple of months. Just wanted everybody to know that um, I have been trying to do something about it. <laughs> I've seen uh, recently seen the near nose and throat specialist. So you think it's allergies, so I'm on a nasal spray with some um, steroids in there, yes. So I should be bulking up any time now. <laughs> Either that or my nose is getting pretty Um And so uh, anyway, I just I appreciate the fact that you all have been bearing with me through this. Uh, hopefully, uh, we actually had an awesome time of prayer this morning. So it's being battled in the spiritual realm as well. And so uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get this figured out sooner rather than later. And thank you all for your uh, patience and, uh, as we go through this together. Well, two weeks ago, we began this series uh, called How Is Your Soul? And if you remember, the first sermon was really about your interior life, right? The whole... How are you doing from an inner standpoint? And the focus of that message was really on the spiritual disciplines that you can use to really keep that spiritual life alive and flourishing and even growing. So we talked about prayer. We talked about reading scripture. We talked about um, just being quiet, right? Taking that time to just be quiet before God and seeing what it is that he might have to say to us. And then the second sermon, we talked about family life and how your family is both a treasure and uh, a discipleship school as well as a mission field at times. And so we're going to look at, at two more areas over the next couple of weeks, uh, your work and your home. And so today is going to be work. We're going to talk about your work life and how that all kind of ties together uh, with this whole issue of your soul. So I'll start out with a question. Was there ever a moment when your work became a joy or that you experienced great joy at work? Now, there was a point in my life when I realized that building and creating things was what gave me The very first job I had out of college, I was working for an advertising agency, and I was writing uh, both print and radio copy, and actually doing some production work on the radio side as well. And so <clears throat> there was this really wonderful sense of fulfillment 
when you saw this thing that had sort of originated as an idea in your head, taken all the way through to completion as either a print ad or uh, as an actual radio spot that you continually hear on the radio. And so, you know, that was great. And then I got laid off. <laughs> and uh, from there began working as a computer programmer. And uh, once again, that job gave me a lot of fulfillment because you're, you were building things, or you're writing a program, or you're using you know, gifts of both creativity as well as <clears throat> logic. Okay, so those are both things that I, I have. And so uh, there was a lot of fulfillment there you know, because of, of that job. <clears throat> then I went to work as an auditor. And my fulfillment and my joy kind of decreased. Now, I loved the companies that I was working for. I loved the people that I worked with. But the job itself really didn't give me a lot of, of fulfillment. Um, it just wasn't something that I really enjoyed doing. And I think part of it was that, you know, in that profession, you're almost always the bad guy, right? You know, because you're going in to point out somebody else's flaws and mistakes and you know, things that can be and so that, you know, there's a part of that that's just not a lot of fun. There, there's another part that really kind of drove me crazy, and that is one of the things that I had to do was to run audit software. And I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but someone here. Uh, but recently, I was having this conversation about uh, you know, the need to make sure your account is balanced, you know, like to a penny, which is kind of how I am, wanting to make sure I, I know where everything went. Well, the very first job I had as, a, had as an auditor I was to go over to Indiana Bell Telephone, which was a huge, huge organization. <clears throat> this was back before all the things happened with the Bells. And uh, so I ran this audit software, and it was the end result was like a million plus dollars off of what the balance was wow. supposed to be in this account. So I'm like, oh man. So I showed it to the audit manager. And she goes, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. It's not material. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> not material? Well, yeah, because when you're talking about an organization where the numbers are, you, know, you use Bs a lot, like billions, a million dollars isn't material to the audit finding. Because really, all you're trying to do is to make sure that things fall within a certain level of materiality, and a million dollars wasn't material. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but it would really, you know, it would bug me. So there was that aspect of it, too, that was still, you know, sort of uh, tough. And so it was sort of about that time that I took that next logical step, um, you know, into management, which is kind of the holy grail, you know, the up-and-coming businessman or woman. You know, you, you want to, oh, we got to get into management. At least that's what we think. We think it's the Holy Grail. <clears throat> Until you actually have to manage somebody, right? Uh, and, you know, it was more money. It was more status. But I really lost that sense of satisfaction that I had with building and creating things. Because now you had to sort of get that through the people that were working on it. You know, you celebrate victories. But there wasn't that. You know, sense of really 
doing this yourself. And actually, at one point, I got so frustrated, I thought about just chucking it all and becoming a carpenter. Because, you know, at least as a carpenter, at the end of the day, you could look at it, it's like, I did that. That was what I accomplished today. I'm very happy with that, right? You know, you had that really solid sense of, you know, this is what I did. So, that really wasn't practical, however. That was kind of like a little pipe dream. And so, eventually, God called me. <clears throat> and surprise, surprise, I found fulfillment and joy once again. Uh, I get a lot of satisfaction from the creative process of writing messages, even though, like any pastor, I have a love-hate relationship with it, right? You finish a message, you're very happy, and then you know that you've got to do another one in seven days. And that happens week after week after week. And so there's definitely that, okay, you know, I love doing it, but like there's always another, so you can never really relax. And also, you know, the real joy that I get <clears throat> from either coaching somebody you know, as a life coach or helping someone whose marriage is in trouble and, you know, you help them be able to put that back together. And you know, there's such a sense of satisfaction in doing that. You know, that doesn't always work out, but a lot of times it and so what I, the reason I'm telling you all of this is that what I want you to see in my story is the fact that the joy and the fulfillment that I got always came from an internal realization that I had. It did not come from external circumstances. In other words, it wasn't you know, money, it wasn't a company car, it wasn't sense of status that you got or a title. Now, now those things were certainly nice, but that isn't what really you know, gave me <coughs> that sense of satisfaction. <clears throat> if I had to guess, I would guess that there's a lot of people here today that probably aren't experiencing that, you know, that sort of inner sense of satisfaction. So the question is, are you, do you feel that way because you're looking for those things <coughs> in the moment? Ow! Oh, sorry. way because you're looking for those things externally <clears throat> rather than internally. Or is it that you just really don't have the right perspective on how it works? Oh. And so what exactly is a Well, I think there's probably more than one way to answer that question, <clears throat> but we're going to look at three today. We're going to look at the fact that what Scripture says is, well, first of all, we work to live. Secondly, we work to influence. And third, we work 
serve. So let's break that down a little bit. So <coughs> under point one. The scripture that we're going to there is from First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. Anyone who does not provide for the relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith. Words in now, there really are two different ways that you can become the faith. One would be um, what you say. <clears throat> so if you start swearing, <coughs> you tell a lot of crude jokes, you make crass remarks, you really disown your faith. However, you can also disown your faith by what you do, the lifestyle that you live. Titus 1.6 describes people who claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. And so one of the ways that Paul wanted believers to be blameless, even to those that were outside of the faith, was in this area of and so in this verse, he's emphasizing that someone who does not provide for their relatives, particularly their immediate family, has denied the faith. Now, the Greek word that's translated as provide actually has a broader meaning than just basic necessity. The word itself means to think ahead, to see needs in advance. So this would cover all of the need to live. Food, clothing, shelter, perhaps medical care, education. <clears throat> Failure of Christians to provide for their own families is seen to have disastrous consequences. It's a denial of the faith and an example worse than being an unbeliever. In no stronger terms could Paul have expressed the importance of social responsibilities within a Christian family. And so in his eyes, he sees social responsibility really as a religious requirement. His teaching there falls right in line with the uh, requirement of the fifth commandment in regards to honoring the family. So Paul is telling us we must work to live, to provide for our families. So what's missing? What's missing from Paul's thoughts on work? What's missing from what the entire Bible says about work? What's missing is that <clears throat> nowhere in Scripture does it say work is anything Scripture does not seem (coughs) 
Scripture doesn't seem to be concerned if the work is fulfilled, or if you have a good boss, or if you lack passion for your job, or if there's opportunity for advancement in your people. It doesn't say that there's anything wrong with it, but it doesn't make any mention of the need. Work is what we do. Secondly, we work to influence. <clears throat> and for this we look, we're looking at Matthew 5.16, which says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we shine our light before others by working righteously, we are making visible the character of God's followers. <laughs> But you might say, well, <clears throat> isn't there a contradiction there? Because in this verse, we're told you know, to let our light shine before men. And then just one chapter beyond this, in uh, chapter 6, it says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So there's a very, very big difference even between these two, even though they seem similar. <clears throat> because in one case we're drawing attention to God, but in the other case, in drawing to self. And so it's the Christian's commission to live <clears throat> in such a way as to make God visible to the world in his mind. <laughs> if you work for God's glory, light is shining as you do it. It makes you unique. And then when someone, such as a co-worker, sees a unique person who possesses superior qualities in specific areas, he wants to discover what, what keeps them different. And what this light is, Jesus tells us, is good work. Seems that good works as a general expression that really covers everything that a Christian says it does. It is an outward and visible manifestation of a Christian faith. Good works <clears throat> are works of love as well. So <clears throat> when you're at work and you offer to cover for someone so they can take some time you put aside what you're working on to help somebody else with their work. Or even if you stand up for someone and when the coffee machine is getting ganged up on, that's when your light blazes most brightly. You've got to love and follow Jesus as much at work as you do right here. If you don't, then you may be guilty memorizing your life. And that's a very unhealthy way to live. Well, I'm one way here, and I'm a different way at home, and I'm a different way at work. And See, as a disciple of Jesus, we're not supposed to conceal the truth. 
we know and the truth of who we are. We're not to pretend to be other than we are, but be willing for our Christianity to be visible to everyone. There was a quote, and I'm not sure of the author, who said this, Light into the invisible is a denial of the call. Follower of Jesus, who seeks to hide themselves, has ceased to follow. And then a quote of my good friend that I have not seen in years, but I know of his death, and I've said this in church before. You don't have to go around telling everyone you are a Christian. Just make sure they're not shocked. We are to be ourselves, our true, authentic Christian selves, open lives, living the life described in the Beatitudes, <clears throat> and not ashamed of Christ. That's when people will see us, and they will see our good works, and seeing us will glorify who God is. How can we make sure that our light shines at work? There's a couple of things. Some of the guys who have been in the teams <coughs> I'm going through puberty right now. Um, we'll recognize a few of these. My voice keeps cracking. Come on here one day and sound like a very white. First of all, don't have unrealistic expectations either of yourself or your co-workers. See, there's going to be times when you're working, uninspiring, tedious, perhaps even confrontational. There's going to be times when the performance of your co-workers is going to be less than stellar. That was the nicest way I could think to say that. And so work, like everything else in the world, falls under the curse of sin. God described it to Adam painful play. doesn't mean work itself is a curse. It's just that it's not going to be fun all the time. Secondly, don't let work be your primary source of significance and identity. You know, I really think that saying that you, know, you are what you do, it's just as silly as to say you are what you eat. But that's the way we think as a society. Right? The first question after we ask someone their name And so, what do you do tends to define who we are. But that, you know, it's exactly what Mary was talking about this morning. You know, just look down there on the wall at that poster on the wall that says, I'm beautiful. That's who you are. Work is what you do. And don't confuse the two. <clears throat> we also need to find a way remember that work is about provision, not conspicuous consumption. Okay? So, you know, avoiding that trap of materialism, avoiding that desire to get <clears throat> everything and then we end up in a, you know, a mountain of debt. Um, and so it's got, you know, if you 
we keep our focus on the fact that scripture says it's about providing for your community. It's not about you know the next biggest TV commercial. And then the last one is really just just keep your work life fluid. Um, you can be friendly, just don't be flirtatious. The guy that I worked with. said something to me once that uh, I've never forgotten. And he talked about uh, the idea that you know, the women or men that we work with, you know, when, when you go to work, you're all cleaned up and you smell nice and you have nice clothes on and you're sort of putting your best foot forward. Uh, and that's not always the case. And so, you know, we need to really focus on the fact that that's a trap. And avoid, you know, avoiding that trap is very important. And so the way we conduct ourselves at work will be a huge influence on our co-workers. And so we need to work in such a way that we can let our light shine. And then finally, the third point, we work to serve. And I took this uh, verse out of the message translation because I thought it spoke a little more clearly. And so that says, and work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving you orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. Now this passage was originally written I think the teaching in this section can apply just as equally to the work done today. and really shows that a worker's motivations and his standards of workmanship are to be the best possible because they are done for the sake of Christ. Christian workers are to accept their position as workers and obey their bosses. That's what this is saying. And the work that they do is not supposed to be superficial, or performed in some way so as to attract attention. We're supposed to work with sincerity of heart, and conscientiously, and with pure motives. And so, as they engage, as we engage in this kind of earnest work, that very action is causing us to serve our Heavenly Boss, our Heavenly Father. And so, it is possible to cook a meal as if Jesus were going to be here, or to clean the house as if Jesus were to be our last guest. It's possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for lawyers to help clients, for shop assistants to serve customers, for accountants to audit books, and for secretaries to file paperwork, as if in each case they were And the same be said in relation to industrial workers who do these tedious, you know, machine-minding jobs and managers who have to work underground. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you get up each day and you either go to work or you work at home or you attend school, for whom are you doing? 
Well, not all of us can have a job situation that we may love. And in fact, we may even forget the one we love. The passages that we've been looking at call us to see our work as an act of thankful worship, bringing glory and fame to Jesus as we express our attitude, words, and work ethic in the world. We work to serve those whom God has placed in our direction. And if you've been following along in your devotional, <clears throat> and I hope you have, we've been doing this daily exam where we reflect on stillness and gratitude and a reflection, joy and sorrow and hope. Those are the five things that are on the back of that devotion. And so, with each of these sermon series, each message in this series, there's another one that we, we <coughs> question, can I have your spoon? <coughs> and so this week, the question is, do I love the work I do? this week to consider that and try to figure out where you are in your whole process. So let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, each day you invite us <coughs> to turn our energies to Some of which serves to provide for us, and some which serves to enrich our lives and our lives. Give us eyes to see our current work from your perspective. Receive our work as an expression of our worship. And show yourself to us and to others within it. In Jesus' name.